black hip, I look good. And my black is transnational. You are listening to Season 5 of My Dad's Podcast, My Black is Transnational, a podcast about blackness and reconnecting back to our native homelands. Find us wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. Check us out on YouTube. You can follow us on Instagram or blacktransnational.com. Thank you for listening and enjoy the show. What's up, everyone? Welcome to another episode of My Black is Transnational. And today I have on a special guest, one of my homies from college, um, all the way from H-Town, uh, with the opportunity to, to just a little bit about the transnational experience. I have here Ms. Rolake Balogun, who is a consultant for Allergen, um, first generation Nigerian, but second generation um, second, uh, African immigrant. Uh, formerly a Shigerian, and now a Houston, uh, which is basically a Nigerian. So, <laughs> um, but yeah, well, again, Rolake, man, thanks for thanks for jumping on the show and, and, and uh, taking this opportunity to talk with me. I've been meaning to have you on for a while. Um, and, you know, for those who don't know, she's a high-class fashionista, so we're going to talk about all that stuff, um, but glad to have you on the show. Yes, thank you for having me. I have an update. Um, I actually just gave my resignation to Allergan Abbey. So I'm off for the next 30 days. Okay, <laughs> um, okay. I'm going to be starting a new role at Google as a program manager. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> shout out to Elevation. This, oh, that's, that's how you say happy Black History Month, right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right, right. Yeah, yeah. Congratulations. That's amazing. Thank you. Thank you. I'm excited. That's awesome. So, well, then with that, let me not make any more assumptions. I'll give you a couple minutes to just introduce yourself to the, <laughs> to the to the audience and let them know who you are, where you represent, and everything. We'll get into it. Yeah. So, as Kel said earlier, my name is Rolake Balogu. Everybody calls me Roly. Um, I am 33 years old, born and raised in Chicago, Illinois, um, but I always have and always will identify as Nigerian, um, Yoruba in particular. Um, I'm a woman who loves all things arts, all things culture, all things fashion, beauty, um, and entertainment. Um, but I, my what I do for work is I'm in marketing. So all things are like digital marketing, uh, multi-channel marketing, influencer social marketing, just trying to get products um, and information out there. And so I've recently moved to Houston, Texas, and it's definitely been <laughs> a transition. Yeah. It is different, but also the same as Chicago in the sense that people love to have a good time. People love to go out. It's just times three in Houston. Um, but I'm, I'm, I'm settling in. I'm learning more about the city. And I'm super excited to be um, on today's show. Thank you. Thank you. Mm-hmm. All right. So we'll, this show is really based on just really explaining to people the, the experience of, one, being Black being immigrant or at least the children of immigrants um but also our cultural our even bicultural experiences you know in terms of our connections back to our homeland and how that plays a role in how we live our daily lives here in the united states or anywhere across the diaspora so i kind of want to know like your experience whether it was like you know growing up in chicago or in nigeria wherever like what was your cultural background and your your migration experience how did you when did you first realize that you were you know, Nigerian in America. Right. 
So I grew up in Buena Park, Lincoln Park area in Chicago, Illinois. Mm -hmm. So people who live in Chicago know these are predominantly white areas. So I was always the odd person out, right? And not even because I was Nigerian, just simply because I was black. Mm. So I was always the single black person in the classroom or one of two, right? Which is an experience a lot of us have had. Yeah. It wasn't really though until I would say college that my identity as a Nigerian woman really started to resonate with me. I always knew I was Nigerian, right. always. It was always a huge part of me growing up, you know, like whether it's from my parents, my mom, primarily only speaks Yoruba to me, right? Mm. Um, you know, always, Yoruba's like English, right? So it's just like, you could switch it between the two, doesn't right. matter. You know, grew up on the food, you know, always been immersed in my culture, but it wasn't an identifier for me until I was in college and it really hit me that I'm Nigerian, which is like a part of now my identity mm. versus me just happening to be Nigerian. And then so in school was more so with me being black, mm. not particularly with me being Nigerian. I didn't really see the differences in the two. Really? It came to just how I was raised. Yeah, initially, no, because I was only around white people. <laughs> like all they saw was just like, you know, just white people, white people. So yeah. like, you know, all they saw was me being black. And then so I didn't really have a lot of Nigerian friends growing up. My family, that's it. But I didn't really have a lot of Nigerian friends. However, like I said, my family is incredibly, incredibly immersed in the culture. So I knew everything growing up, growing up. I understood it. But that's always connected to me from a family side. Mm -hmm. Not really it being like, oh, this is my brand identity. Not brand identity, but part of my identity is how I walk around in the world, right? In college, though, especially when, like, actually, I was going to make this a little bit before college this year. Um, my cousin, uh, she was at U of I, mm -hmm. and she was a part of this. She was super excited for me to get accepted into UIUC because she was a part of ACA. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I was just like, what even is this? <laughs> and so she told me about it, and I was just like, okay, I see. Um, and then so I just wanted, I didn't know what to, I didn't know what to be a part of. I didn't know what to join. Yeah. Um, I had a couple of Nigerian friends here and there, but again, it was always just who was black. Ironically, all my black friends in college, in high school, mm. were Nigerian, honestly enough, the people I was very close to. Uh -huh. um, and it was in college, though, that I really, really, really started connecting with the culture personally. Mm. So identifying as a Nigerian woman and saying that this is what makes me me through my culture. Mm. Um, college really opened up that door for me. So, yeah, I just, you know, it never, it never really connected with me. And I connected with it, but never really was just like, oh, this is who I am um, as a child, child. It's just, that's just always was. It was what it was. Like, right. yes, I'm going to wake up and eat ogi that I hate this morning. <laughs> <laughs> what? You hate ogi? Oh, I hate it. Man. Oh, God. Ogi with like, with Akara or something, man. That's <laughs> like. <laughs> Disgusting. <laughs> disgusting well, that's the only nigerian food i don't like everything else i eat like okay. everything else i eat like we've been eating food since we were very very young mm -hmm. um but like any of the nigerian child but like for me to say oh yes i'm nigerian american this is how i identify that's the most sense about like 17 18 so like you never had that experience of like in high school you said ironically a lot of your friends were um you know african or at least yeah. like 
Yeah. And so, so was it just uh, an easy relatability? Because I think some people who've been on the show will say like, man, you know, we all grew up and we dealt with the, the name calling and the, you know, the African booty scratcher and all that other, you know, Mm -hmm. upbringing trauma that some people, some of us have experienced. And so you never got that because primarily you're already in a predominantly white space. So it's kind of like the layer of, well, the first thing they see is black anyway, so we can't even. (laughs) (laughs) Now I will say when I was in in uh, grade school, I was bullied heavily because Mm -hmm. of the fact that I had a bit of an accent. You know, when you're learning English from parents who have an accent, you're going to have a little bit of an accent. Mm -hmm. And even though I was born here, and then, you know, like my mom would do my hair and it wouldn't be like straight back cornrows. Like these cornrows would come up in like a little crack. (laughs) And just like, yes, a little thing at the top. And then like your little beads, a little beret. So it's different, right? Yeah. That's probably the only experience that I would say, like, you know, not only experience, but that was a differentiator in grade school. Um, but again, being like the only, if it's predominantly white or the only person who was in the same, it felt more so, I didn't have people to commiserate with in grade school, mm-hmm. right? So it was just like, I was that individual who was just different. I didn't realize that it was because of that's just this cultural differences. So mm-hmm. it had hit me as a kid. So when I'm growing up and there are other people who are similar backgrounds, we weren't talking about that background. I didn't bring it up often because I just thought that that was just kids being bullies, right. not because that I was different. Um, I didn't realize that at the time anyway. Looking back, you see that's what that is. Right. So my friends in high school, we weren't really talking about being Nigerian, quite honestly. Right. Uh, we were talking about, like, we'd have some stories here and there, you know, like, my parents also weren't the type, you know, they, my, my mom is incredibly antisocial. She does not like people. So we would, I, I wasn't going to parties. We weren't going to, you know, 50th birthdays and things like that. Like, so I wasn't really seeing and meeting a lot of people, okay. um, which is so funny because my cousin, who is, you know, everybody in Chicago, complete mm-hmm. opposite, right? Not, not, um, not, um, she, like, she's just, she's just everywhere. And people right. know her from, and it's all because you all grew up in um Stella, right so we all went mm-hmm. to Stella church you know that was yeah. but again it wasn't something that I was identifying as oh this is because I'm Nigerian it's just this is his life and so I wasn't talking to people about it I wasn't learning more about it from other people's perspectives it was just mm-hmm. that's just what this is mm-hmm. so in high school we just it just so happened but we never really discussed it quite honestly um yeah and I, I wish I wish I did have more of that growing up um because it's such a huge part of who I am now um, that like I wish I had those conversations as a kid I think I would have felt more included than I did growing up I always kind of felt like the odd man out so did you go do you ever go back to Nigeria when you were younger or was it until you got older it was a lot when I was very young but too yeah. young to remember okay so like I remember some small things here and there because of my my grandfather passed or my grandmother's mm-hmm. birthday or you know, when I was young, we were in Nigeria a lot, a lot. But growing up, never, never, like never after I would say probably like four. Oh wow! Did not go back to Nigeria. Um, and then all of my family is here. Mm. A lot of my family is here or in the UK. We go mm. there. You know, my grandmother would always come here. Right. So we didn't really have a reason to go back often. Um, and then my grandmother passed in 2010 so that was a trip um that I actually uh was not able to go on because I forget why I was able to go on that trip so that's something that's also been missing in my 
upbringing mm-hmm. actually being in Nigeria. I planned to go this December, um, but it wasn't something that I grew up doing, going back and forward. But right. very, very young, yes. And I still remember some small things here, small things here and there. I remember my dad choking on a fish bone. <laughs> <laughs> I hate fish. Like, <laughs> really? Like, because I choked on a fish bone. I choked on a fish bone oh, no. when I was younger. <laughs> And so, like, I'm very, I shouldn't say I hate fish, but I'm very um, cautious when it yeah. comes to eating fish, specifically, like, <laughs> the type of fish that Nigerians eat a lot. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, with the bones that are heavy, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, I, I try to avoid it as much as I can, but, yeah, so <laughs> that's my I love fish. Yeah, I could, because I, I remember, like, how scary that was. I just remember him, like, hacking over a sink or something. I don't know what's going on. I was just like, whoa. Yeah. <laughs> and I still remember like what my grandmother's house looked like. Um, I still remember things like people making like panda jam, like mm-hmm. real panda jam. And this cake in particular that my grandmother had like a, for her birthday. I don't know. I've never had it since. <laughs> but I remember the taste. The fact that you remember <laughs> the taste for decades <laughs> on end. Like, <laughs> it's like, you know how sad I am. It's been like three decades. I know. <laughs> Literally three decades. That's, you know, three. that's powerful, man. <laughs> I have not had it again. I want it so badly. Oh, my God. Yo. <laughs> um, and, you know, so the interesting thing about it is that, like, you you mentioned, you know, we go to college, right? And, you know, shout out to ACA, all the ACA alums. And, you know, it seems like a lot of us tend to have this, like, re- this sort of rebirth or this like oh yeah like this is being being Nigerian isn't that bad right like being African isn't that you know embarrassing right like we start to take more ownership of it but then like in that process you know what did that do for you in terms of your relationship with African Americans and you know other um culturally diverse Black communities Mm -hmm. I started seeing where the differences lie, right? Mm-hmm. Like you don't really, you become more, you become more aware of it, mm-hmm. right? You see them, but you don't really think about it. You just kind yeah. of like, you know, that's what that is, right? Especially because for me, I didn't grow up until like high school around either. Mm-hmm. Even in high school was very minimal. I was around a lot of white people. Mm-hmm. And then so starting to see just where, you know, like they were more heavy and obvious cultural differences outside of just food and language. You know, just really like in regards to the way that we think. Like, you know, I never really thought about that whole joke of you have to be a doctor. Uh-huh. It's kind of like that's just how you just like duh. <laughs> like, what do you mean? Yeah, yeah. Like, uh, but then yeah. you realize like, oh, that's a particularly an African thing, <laughs> like yeah. a foreign parent thing. Like, you have five options: doctor, engineer, lawyer, architect, or family failure. Or failure. Failure. <laughs> 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 So it's just like, you know, you don't even really think about it. But then I'm noticing that, like, you know, that wasn't the case for some people. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, upbringing is different. Rules are different. Requirements are different. And then so how you interact with people have to be different based off of what, how they grew up. You know, there are those similarities. But for me, it was more so actually being able to connect with people who have similarities to my upbringing than not. That was new for right. me. Um, and then so being able to share those stories, like, yeah, my mom sure did do this. Or oh, I remember when I had to go to that party and I was up till like 11 as a child. Like, right. Why were we there? <laughs> why were we there? Picking up money on the floor. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> <You know? laughs> like, why were we there? You know, but um, I would say just me recognizing kind of like 
the differences between us, but mm. also knowing that there were no, there were differences, but there were differences in regards mm. to like, I'm still being seen as black, but really seeing that even I'm being seen as black, there are levels to it. Mm-hmm. And there's still differences there. So there are differences. They're different how they're seeing me, maybe how I'm seeing them now. Um, but I have friends from all different types of backgrounds. So at the end of the day, they were still just my friends. That just noticing those small individual differences where they might understand what I'm saying here. I don't understand where they're coming from in this particular thing because cultures are completely different. Nothing mm-hmm. wrong with it, but it's just there's a difference there. And then so I never really paid attention to that growing up. So. Then, all right, we've gone through college and now you are you graduated, you are in the workforce, you know, working professionally. How did your experience, your cultural experience, your cultural bringing, how did it, did it stand out in the workforce? Um, you know, in terms of just being not just being a black woman, but you know, a black Nigerian or African woman, like how does it how does that start to play out for you? It definitely made a difference. Going back to actually the college question, right, and how this actually started to, I started to see this more, even more so in the workforce. Mm-hmm. So in college, you know, I have a array of different friends. I remember actually one night we had this game night at my house, and um, there was a conversation about being Black versus being African American, and how they would sometimes feel like Africans look down on them, right? Mm-hmm. If they feel like, you know, people are having these conversations of like, well, we're better than, yeah. right? But then, you know, I got into the workforce. And I had this conversation like, oh, I say that. <laughs> like, what do you mean? <laughs> like, you feel like, you're like, what are you, like, we're black. Yeah, what are you, what are you talking about? As a matter of fact, I hear more Africans talking about being bullied growing up. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the whole African beauty, booty scratcher comments mm-hmm. and, you know, making fun of your hair, the way that you talk. When I was a kid, I used to say salad instead of salad for the longest right. time. <laughs> so I'm just like, what are you talking about? I didn't, I didn't think it was a conversation that needs to be had. Mm. But I, and, I, and one of the things I wish I hadn't have done was dismiss what he was saying. Because when I got into the workforce, I feel like I saw it firsthand heavily, the difference in how people are being treated. Mm. Specifically in a job that I had about two, three years ago. Funny enough, there's only three black women in this company. There's me and two other women. All three of us from different backgrounds. One girl was more, I think she's biracial. Another girl, um, an African American, and me who's you know African. And the difference in the way that we were treated was so interesting. And really? I find this in interviews when I would say, Oh, where are you from? It's always a question I would get. Where's your where are you from? Nigerian and there would be a difference. I would see a shift. It was huh. very interesting. Yeah, I would see a shift where people would be like, oh, and they would start asking all these questions and like their interest just like peaks a little bit, right? I saw this article about, you know, like a Nigerian somebody and this little boy who didn't, you know, we see it. It's, it's great. It's there, you know. We know that like we're raised to be exceptional, right? That's how yeah, we're... but that's just how we were raised, right? Yeah. So, in this position, though, they, they, my, my friend, we, we're doing the same thing. We're doing the same job, but they would actually dismiss anything that she was saying. She's been there longer than I had been, and like they just did not treat her well. I could say the exact same thing that she was saying, 
And Austin was like, oh, that was a great idea. And I was like, well, I got it from her. <laughs> like, I got it from her. Right. I, I noticed that they're actually, now this might not be everyone's experience, and I'll just say this, but this is my personal experience, that like, now it doesn't mean that I'm getting treated the best, you know, right. like, it doesn't mean that I'm out here being red carpet laid out because I'm still a Black woman in the workforce, right? I'm still dealing with a lot of BS, yeah. a lot of things that people do. But I did notice that there was a bit of like, people stood up a little bit more and they tend to listen to more of what I had to say when they realized that I was Nigerian or African, right? Um, and that was so interesting to me um, in the workforce. And I was mm -hmm. just like, that's when those differences really started to click and what maybe somebody was saying. In and then I would talk about it with others and they'll be like, well, duh, you know, we're Nigerian. And the, the response, I'll be like, <laughs> Okay, yeah, like, <laughs> but we feel that there's a problem, right? But then, like, there would be sometimes agreements based off of someone's background versus their achievements. Mm. We have plenty of people who are from different backgrounds who have achieved, but then I saw that, that there was a little bit of prejudice there for some people and not for others. And then, so that was a conversation I started having um, with my friends and family members. I remember one time, Somebody I knew was saying something, and they were just like, "Well, of course, this is what Nigerians do." And I'm proud of being Nigerian, and I'm great, and I'm just like, "That's fantastic." And I'm just like, "But we can't say that they can't simply because they're not." Exactly. It makes sense. It's like that's that you you cannot determine because we we've met plenty of people who are not enough anyway, who are like not the, I don't want to say bums, but little bummy, right? <laughs> like not doing anything, right? They're not mm -hmm. they they haven't. Oh, they're not doing anything but they had not necessarily hit any of those achievement marks and that's okay everybody's situation is different exactly but simply to say that because somebody is of a certain background that they cannot i think is an area that we significantly need to improve upon i'm proud of nigerian and i will always say like okay first thing anybody asks me i'm nigerian right but i think it's an important conversation to say that like to have about how we discuss those issues or those differences um, with our black peers yeah. uh, within the workforce. The workforce is a place that I see it the most. Other mm. places, those conversations continue to happen, right? And I'm sure we'll get into that a little bit later. But I would definitely say that that's one thing, like if, like that's 2%, 2%, yeah. like, and maybe I'm treated 2% better, which is not much, but yeah, but, but the 2% stands out significantly, right? Because yeah. you're like, we just because the discrepancy is already big compared yeah. to like other groups so when you see that two percent means a lot <laughs> yeah exactly it's, yeah it's just for example um this was during the whole george floyd situation mm -hmm. and this is what i think a lot of the times we talk about like you know if you if you have any level of service, any level utilize it right and then so they would i don't know what they would it has to be the most stupid email that the ceo sent in regards to the whole George Floyd, um, like, I, I was just like, huh? And then the next day, we had a daily stand-up, and then one of the leaders had said, well, let's all just take the time to just breathe. I exited. I said, you guys can breathe by yourselves. <laughs> like, like, what are you guys even talking about? Like, there's this, a room that you can read. Like, read the room. <laughs> the room. Like, what kind of, is breathing going to stop people from dying? Like, are you stupid? <laughs> Like, are you really dumb? And then so, you know, they were, my other coworkers were a little bit more nervous to like speak up on it. And I'm just like, I don't think I'll hear me. So I sent the CEO an email 
And I was just like, I felt like that e that email that you sent was not genuine. Um, and then people telling us to just take a breath, like closing our eyes is going to make this stop was absolutely ridiculous to say. Yeah. And so we ended up having a meeting with the CEO for like an hour, you know, but it's just like, they didn't feel like they'd be able to have that same reaction if they sent it. So I was just like, I'll put the email. That doesn't mean that, it, again, nobody's rolling out red carpets. Nobody's just like, oh, man, that girl, you know, I still have to deal with racism in the workplace. I still have to deal with, you know, white, white tears. I still have to deal with, you know, being told that you're too aggressive or whatever it is. Um, but in those certain small ways, like where you can step up for something, if you need to, do it. You know, like utilize utilize that 2% that you have mm -hmm. to help all of y'all's situation. Because at the end of the day, we're also black. Mm -hmm. And the first thing that they see before you step into anywhere is that you're black. Then they'll take the time to be like, oh, wait, your, your name. Oh, wait, you have these many particular features. Mm -hmm. um, oh, you studied here in Nigeria. Oh, okay, tell me more about that. Maybe that's when the interest will change. But initially, this is just black. And even after you're hired, you're so, still black. I'm interested to know, because I did an episode in the past, maybe like two seasons ago, about the power, like the, the whole idea of how we as Nigerians or even African immigrants, when we get into these spaces um, in, in, in work, how we would, uh, we would change our names, right, in order to fit in or not be bothered by the questions that you just kind of described in terms of where you're from and, you know, how do you do this or whatever. Yeah. And so I wonder, when you first came in, did you... Did you come in like my name is Rolake, or did you have to like softly throw it in there in in terms of like I'm Roly and this is so how did you go about creating your presentation of yourself when you first like when you go on interviews and things like that when you first started? Yeah. Yeah, it's actually funny because that same job that I was just talking about, culturally, this is one of the probably the most interesting jobs that I've had. Mm. At, before this job, I actually always came, my resume, everything legally, legally my name is Debbie. Mm -hmm. And that's how everything was. So my resume, it was Debbie. On my, um, everything, Debbie, right? Mm -hmm. And then, so you get to, just actually with this particular job, I had started to want to put Relic on my stuff because First of all, I hate the name Debbie. <laughs> like, I hate it. <laughs> and then, it's like, thanks, Dad. And then, um, you know, again, as I'm growing up, my, my, my culture, especially in my 20s, I really, really started connecting with my Nigerian culture, mm -hmm. like, personally. And I wanted that to be on everything. Like, that was always my plan to change my name legally in the first place. But why don't I just start introducing myself like that, right? Mm. I applied for this job. I didn't, nothing happened. Like, I didn't get a call back. I didn't get anything. Two months later, reapplied. The only thing I changed on my resume was my name. Just back to Debbie. I got hired. What? Nothing else changed. Nothing else on my resume changed. So it makes a difference. That's what I'm saying. I'm just like, there's a 2%, like, there's 2%. Treat a little better, but still not that great. <laughs> still not that great. So, um, but then when I got to the office, they were all calling me Debbie, and I'm like, do not please, like, relaxe. And then so they changed my email, they changed everything to relaxe. And from then on, I started 
I, my resume tainted that Relica. I, for every job that I've had since then, and same thing with my new one, it's Relica. Like, I know you, you can figure out how to say it. You can say Schwarzenegger, but you can't say my name. <laughs> like, it's very simple. Exactly. That's <laughs> the part that always, that's the part, that's kind of where I also kind of had to make that I had to put things in perspective. Like our names aren't that hard, right? Because for me, I used to start off like, oh, man, call me Kelly. Then everybody, you know, Kells was more like familial terms, you know, initially mm-hmm. like people, like my homies in college and everything would call me Kells. And mm-hmm. I, I, didn't, I didn't care. But like when I was in, you know, high school, in grade school, you know, my like baptism name was like Kenny. So he called me that. And I hated it. Like the more I think about <laughs> it, I hate it. Because the yeah. thing about it, like you make, you have to create like a different personality essentially yeah. right like you create a different persona to try and present yourself to the world as whatever you know exactly is right and so I used to hate that and, and and then I got to this point where I was just like man I started seeing like some names that me self like <laughs> <laughs> you know the I name like that, that starts with like a zx yeah k-s-k-y and he'd be like this is ziski and he's like wait a minute z-s-k-y is ziski but you said that so fluently white so man easy. but like someone to say like aditoro or to say something like that is like i can't say that we're just gonna say og oh yeah. like what stop yeah. it right it drives me crazy like i had a co-worker her last name was learning horner what <laughs> you got that learning horner but my logo is difficult <laughs> like and it looks like what it sounds like. Like my name looks like what it sounds exactly. like. Exactly. I've heard so many different variations of my name. Rolake, um, Rolake, Rolake. And then like the thing that would kill me was that I would correct them and they would still keep saying my name incorrectly. And the same thing that you said is like the persona changes. Mm-hmm. Like when I'm at work, and you're like, my name is Debbie. <laughs> and, you're, and, you're, and, you're, and then you got a code, you got your code yes, switching happening. Yes, the code yeah. switch is like, but then I felt definitely more myself when people were now calling me by my name. The name that my mother gave me, you cannot mm-hmm. call me that name. Because then it's just like, I, I felt more free and I saw myself being more vocal actually, um, mm-hmm. because I could be myself within the workforce when I was getting, when they, they had my name, like, then my name correct, so learn how to say my name, we're going to be fine, I'm actually responding now when you're talking to me, mm-hmm. <laughs> because it's like, I'm hearing my name often, and it continues to add to that pride that you have of who you are, and mm-hmm. I've really, especially, you know, in my late 20s into now, I've been on a huge self searching self-ownership journey mm-hmm. of really, really like standing in who I am. And my name is a huge part of that. So that's something that I just don't negotiate on. And then so and I'm sure there's been jobs that I've not gotten called back because they don't even like my name and it's just a cushion. Yeah. But I want to be a part of those companies anyway. Yeah, exactly. You don't want to be in a space where they're not going to value authentic. Um, yeah. Because I think about it, like our parents put put a lot of time and, and prayer <laughs> into yeah. me. You know what I mean? And so it's, it's a community <laughs> thing, right? And so if, if uh-huh. I go back and think about it, like, especially when it comes to like the process we had to like naming our kids. And it was like, it wasn't an easy thing. Like it was just like, oh, we just gonna 
like we have to think about what it meant and what this meant to us and so I started to reflect on it like now I can't just go and just be like oh don't call me this like call me me by my nickname like no 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 right that cool like so and that's that's kind of what I my my approach has been but just to kind of keep the conversation going right you you brought something interesting in terms of that that debate that we normally have um and it happened I had one one of those in college too as far as the you know, African-Americans and Africans, we look at each other and we tend to be looked upon as the, the model minority, right? Mm-hmm. Like that's kind of how African immigrants have been looked upon lately, that 2% increase because they've seen a little bit more of um, achievement as happened mm-hmm. in our community. You know that, you know, you may see a Ghanaian boy get into seven Ivy Leagues and whatever yeah. the case may be. And that, mm-hmm. that leads to a stereotype that's being created that helps elevate us but then in the same breath that kind of tries to bring other African Americans down in their accomplishments so I really do um, appreciate you mentioning that we still need to utilize whatever quote quote privileges and opportunities that's given to us for whatever minor differences that they want to use to pit against us to help each other out and so now I kind of want to shift it from the workspace because I think we can really unpack that but I really want to get into the things I know you're passionate and interested in which is like fashion and movies right so (laughs) I want to know like how it we'll talk fashion first because I think there's something to be said in terms of of course the roles that women play in in dictating the or being the thermostat when it comes to the fashion world compared so um more so to men but I wonder how did you get into that what influenced it? Was it your African side? Was it your, you know, American acculturated side? Like what was really the inspiration to your fashion and how have you like mended or combined both if you have? Yeah. So the reason I got into fashion is actually my dad. My dad's a huge ham and he's always loved fashion, but what he always did, he always liked for things to be unique. So there was a lot of culture in it for me. Especially because if you consider, if you think about it, you know, if there's a party, if there's anything, all you have is just material. You have your lace. Mm-hmm. But you have to go and then design what you want. And so as a kid, it's my parents making my clothing. And my, my parents deciding what we're going to be putting on. But my dad mm-hmm. is the one who really would look and be like, I don't want this to look like everybody else's. And mm-hmm. then so he would now start picking and choosing certain elements to put together for our little outfits. And like, they were always big or I've always been such a girly girl. Like I've been a girly girl since so I have this pictures of me as a kid, like just like over here, like posing like this. <laughs> I just always just like to be dressed up. And then, so the mixture of that and then my dad is always being like, yeah, no, let's, let's switch this up just a little bit. Really got me into fashion. So and I want you before, sorry, just to interject, yes. for those who may be listening, who are not like familiar with like, you know, um, African, like Oanbek culture, um is like can you explain the idea of like okay you said you have the material and then you get the clothes like can you just briefly yeah educate us a little bit so um I'm sure some of you some people have probably been to Nigerian weddings right or maybe they haven't so um what basically happens is during an event let's just say a wedding for example um the bride and groom if they're going to do a trad um for those who don't know what a trad is it's Nigerian traditional wedding um, and it's very different from the typical everyday wedding that you see where it's just a white dress. And so what people will do is that they'll call a lace or they'll call a color. By mm-hmm. that, they mean that they want their particular size, so the groom 
side has a particular lace or color, the bride side has a particular lace or color, and by lace we mean this is literally six yards, right, of a particular yeah. material. It might be lace, it might be um, Ankara, mm -hmm. right, it might be whatever it may be. Usually about six yards is what people will get, and um, you'll pay for it, and you'll get your lace or your Ankara, and then you'll take it to a tailor. And then that tailor will now make your outfit based off of whatever style you give them. So you might give them something simple. You, if you're going to a tailor who knows what they're doing, you yeah, might have something a little bit more complicated. It's important to go to a tailor who knows what they're doing because you don't yes. want to have a situation of what I asked for and what I got. Um, but at these parties, people will come in their, in their outfits um, that have been uh, custom made, basically, so you give your measurement, um, you give your style, they custom make it for you and everybody's in the same material, but completely different styles based off of whatever they wanted. Mm -hmm. And then, so for example, like you are able to identify at a wedding, the bride side, because maybe everybody is in green mm -hmm. and um, able to identify the groom side, maybe everybody's in blue. Mm -hmm. And then, so you can say, oh, okay, that person is part of this, or maybe this is a bridal party member because they're in pink. So it's like, that's kind of what happens at Awambe parties or weddings or whatever. People will call a lace, take it to the tailor, custom made, and then you wear it to the party. All right, thank you. All right, continue on. Sorry. <laughs> so so um, with that being said, like it was always something that was important to me. I never actually forget, um, you know, I initially went to school for molecular and cellular biology um because i want <laughs> who didn't <laughs> who didn't go to ncb and go oh the worst <laughs> i don't have path to be a doctor as our parents wanted us to be you realize you take literally school, lincoln like, hall was it lincoln that all the classes were right i think it was yeah, yeah it was lincoln hall it was like one in follinger anyway yes yes so where i never forget when i tripped up the stairs going into follinger my first day of class i said great <laughs> I love it. <laughs> I absolutely love it. But um, so I ended, I ended up getting um, a uh, BS in, so BA in um, marketing and fashion business. And then so my parent, my mom actually asked me, she's just like, are you sure you want to be a doctor? I said, no, <laughs> like, you guys told me to be a doctor. Um, and then so it's like, it just continued to grow for me. Um, because I'm a lover of all things aesthetically pleasing, right? Like anything that looks nice, like I love to look at it and play with it. Um, my culture really started becoming a part of it when I started blogging. Mm. So back in the day, I used to have a blog called The Mahogany Mist, and I started writing more about just my thoughts on fashion, especially as a dark-skinned woman, especially mm. as a woman of a certain culture where, you know, like I can't wear certain things, but this is how I can make it work for me that I still feel good in it. Um, and then, so my love of fashion continued to grow there. Um, and then I started to go to more parties and started to do more things. I just became so heavily invested and involved in it, um, especially as I started my wedding planning business. Um, it really became a part of my everyday life um, with helping people design their wedding dresses, um, figure out bridesmaids dresses, um, try to tie in the uh, cultural side, especially from the Nigerian side of things. Um, and then, so today it's like, Still a huge part of my life, still something that I love, still love to get dressed up, still love to design things, um, you know, just make myself and other people look pretty if I can. <laughs> so is it primarily, is it primarily African uh, cultural stuff or is it, do you do like across cultures or? 
Well, primarily it's been African, um, but cross culture. So it's like I had a friend who they were they had like a huge, <laughs> a huge Nigerian Indian wedding, and oh. that was yeah, was like five days of events, and I was like, mm-hmm. <laughs> yay, my bank account. But um, <laughs> but it was fun. Um, you know, when my cousin got married, you know, like I got more into the negotiating and picking side of things so I really got to get dive in deep um with that you know so really understanding that side of things mm-hmm. um but culture definitely always played a part in it you know me and my friends will always send things back and forth like this is a good idea this is a good idea I like this piece I like that piece you know I just saw a suit today that somebody wore for their wedding that I 100% am going to get remade in pink and wear for my birthday this year like oh, for- like it's gonna be on my wearing for that for my birthday. Oh, you've already <laughs> so, marked it down. <laughs> I already marked it down. <laughs> I already marked it down. But it's just like you know, it has been a huge part of who I am. Um, and not because of the vanity of it. I just love to see nice things together, and that really does stem from my father. He's still the same. Still very much trying to always be the guy who's doing something different. It lands sometimes, and sometimes it doesn't. Right. <laughs> That's the uh, risk to take. Me? No, because I, I could I could have helped them with the ones that weren't going to land, and I told them they weren't going to land, and they didn't land. But uh, but no, he's been a, he's been a, my mom too. Mom's always really been big on fashion. She loved to dress us up when we were kids. Um, but I started interjecting a lot of um, my culture into specifically when I made and I know we're going to get into film, but you know there was a there's a TV show that I wrote uh, when I was in LA called Incarnation, which was a mixture of fashion and film. Um, and the point of it was to bring Nigerian culture, specifically Ankara, mm-hmm. more into the uh, mainstream fashion world. Mm-hmm. And then so we actually filmed episode one, um, but you know, this and that happened, so I never really got to get it anywhere. But um, it that's another example of how like I really do enjoy um, in injecting fashion into every realm of my life you know it's we you already helped with the segue because we we (laughs) read the film and and incarnation and you talk about the mainstream and what I you know I've been saying a lot (laughs) is just that there's this it's not even a slow steady one anymore because like our peoples are we're we're becoming mainstream right and so Mm -hmm. it's such a huge difference um in in how we are perceived nowadays and because i mean of course they've always known like us to be like we're the ones who are going to be smart we're going to work hard right we're different yeah. than these other blacks right whatever um type of prejudice they try to use but like mm-hmm. our our style was never embraced right exactly. like our food even to this there's still issues in terms of how people want to perceive our food and market our food mm-hmm. later mm-hmm. but like our food <laughs> like you know and and our films right nollywood is Nollywood is for us, right? And that's, yeah. that's kind of how I look at it. But that's, you know, and then, so just we're becoming more mainstream or is it just like me? Like, do I feel like it's no. just... <laughs> I agree. <laughs> I definitely agree. I think that um, a lot of our culture is being injected into mainstream culture. I mean, look at look at um, music, right? Like, yeah. Afrobeats is all over. The place. It's everywhere now. But now if you go on TikTok, you see people trying vegetable soup and a goofy for the first time. Now it's just sometimes annoying because people just man, and people are like, yeah, nobody told you to eat it. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's like 
But at the same time, it's really cool to see how, I mean, and it may just be a trend, it may be long-term, you know, um, but it's really cool to see how people are starting to embrace specifically Nigerian culture um, and want to learn more about it. You know, I think any culture that people try to embrace and learn more about is really cool, but it's definitely there. Um, we're seeing more people become interested in Nigerian, like, designers, Nigerian mm. entertainers, Nigerian mm. filmmakers. Uh -huh. um, you know, like, let's talk about Beyonce and her... Uh, film that she did you know for um is it black is, or lion king or black is king yeah yeah it's when she did lion king black is king yeah, right and a lot of the things that a lot of people that she utilized was i think her i think her director or her cinematographer was nigerian okay wow you know yeah i believe that he's nigerian um and interjected and in, in used a lot of nigeria in the film itself mm -hmm. Like, that's really cool to see, like, to see people now wanting to understand what's Gaelic. They've heard it before. They mm -hmm. now want to know how to tie one. Um, people want to also, you know, understand about Owande parties, right? Mm -hmm. um, and that's just, like, what, what I love about it is people from Black communities right. who are trying to learn more about it, who are going back and being like, okay, so where am I from? You know, the Circle Festival that Bozema and... Um, I forget the second person who created this three or four years ago that has people going back to Ghana to mm -hmm. learn more, you know, to reclaim a lot of things. And I think that that's the most powerful thing about it. Seeing Nigeria in in uh, mainstream culture is driving people to take action to learn more about themselves and connect with each other in a way that we weren't doing before. There's still different people who have negative thoughts of Nigerians and the culture and everything like that but we're, I'm seeing a lot more people who are embracing and wanting to learn more and connecting with each other and having those important conversations as well because they want to connect with it yeah so like do you are you a fan of and this is a very petty question so just <laughs> but like even though we are becoming more mainstream yeah does it does it irk you when the accents feel a little weird or no yeah. oh yes yeah, I'm always you could have gone find somebody Nigerian. <laughs> you know what I'm always thinking, like, I'm always thinking, like, you can always find someone like Nigerian who can really tell you how to like yeah. say it. Um, I just think about Black Panther and you know <laughs> what Black Panther has done for yeah. the positives that Ryan yeah. and the crew have done as far as bringing. I felt like Black Panther was a very powerful, um, mm -hmm. you know, the first one specifically, um. Yeah in terms of really showing a, there's a lot of symbolism in my opinion mm -hmm. that like really talked about that mm -hmm. difference between you know African Americans and Africans and just mm -hmm. there, there are a lot of metaphors in there that I was able to de like de decipher and be like man like it's crazy move me um <laughs> and so I think about like where like where we're headed and to me you know I feel like okay is this is this a tool that we can truly use to help um, with us being mainstream? Does it help us bridge the gap or is it just doing more now to, to separate us in terms of, okay, this is another episode. This is another case of us raising the, the, the black mm -hmm. immigrants and not mm -hmm. still, you know, raising the African-Americans and the ones who've helped build this country literally. So I just want to know your thoughts. I think it's, um, remember we were talking about earlier about having that privilege and utilizing it? Mm -hmm. I think this is an example of this time right now is a great time to do that. I think we can 
create that bridge with it and I've seen it happen right I've also seen the opposite where you know people either feel like for example talking about how you know some people are their ancestors while their dreams right mm-hmm. they really are they, they're they're they descended from slaves right um and they have not been afforded opportunity here simply because they're black it sounds like it's like redlining we could talk about you know simply just existing within racist communities that will now try to drive down your values simply again because you're black um you know they hear a certain name that may not necessarily be a mainstream name um, but they consider ghetto and now they mistreat you we don't have to deal with that all the time we still have to deal with it because in the, the day i said i'm a black woman people are going to see that first before they see anything else mm-hmm. but because my culture right now is being considered a mainstream let's even say trend right now that's, right that's not, yeah that's a good point. <laughs> like there are times when people get excited simply because of Nigeria. Utilize that privilege to help build another community up. So if we see that, like, okay, you know, for example, I tried to be super vocal last year in my company with Juneteenth. I joined um, BBN, which was the Black Business Network. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I could do that work because maybe I can get more people interested into because. Now, that, that, does that necessarily always happen? No. Um, I think that the bridge as long as conversations are happening and they're happening with good intent, mm-hmm. I think the bridge can be, I think the bridge can definitely happen. Um, for those who then utilize it to say, I'm better than you, or for those who may feel um, like it's not fair that, you know, a black communities that aren't African are not being treated the same way mm-hmm. um, is, I could I could understand the pain. I could understand the discontent. I can understand why. But I think as long as we're having open and honest conversations and we're willing to listen to each other, a bridge can happen. I've seen both happen in the most extreme ways. That's why I can't really say one or the other. But the fact that it's even happening with small like the smallest bridges are happening, like those going back to Ghana for the Circle Festival, right? Um, those who want to learn more about the culture. Um, you know, Africans who are trying to have more open and honest conversations. I see my dad, right? Like my dad, you know, used to think one way and he his, his whole thought process has changed, hmm. you know, um, over the past, I would say like decade, but specifically over the past five years where, you know, he's really seeing the differences in how people are being treated. Hmm. And I'm having those open and honest conversations with other Nigerians, like this isn't okay taking certain words out of our vocabulary that's mm-hmm. also going to help the bridge, um, helping them understand who we are and that we are not here to ride over them or lord over anybody, you know, because at the end of the day, like I keep saying, we are all black. Exactly. We're all dealing with these issues. Um, so I'm hoping that a bridge will happen. I'm hoping that a bridge will continue um, with this, you know, let's just even say it's not a trend, which I think it is, but uh, let's just even say this isn't a trend. This is a long-term thing. Yeah, fingers crossed. I hope so too. Because yeah. <laughs> you know, it's just like let's all just talk about it. Like, I wish, I wish more conversations like the one that we're having was happening. I wish people would listen to each other. Um, I think that's the main thing. You know, it's 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 fun to be the person that is popular, right? Is is the is the new shiny toy. Mm-hmm. Um, but hey, we don't know how long that's going to be, right? So there's yeah. a time when it was Caribbean culture. Everybody wanted yeah. to be part of it. Yeah. Everyone, everybody wanted to be Jamaican or from the Bahamas yeah. or whatever. Yeah. Um, 
So who knows how long it's going to be here, but yeah. you know. Yeah, that that's kind of where I was. You know, that's kind of my mindset was like I'm I'm liking it, but uh, the 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 um not pessimist, but like this. I'm I'm very. I don't know the word that I can really say right now to express it more so than just I'm very cautious in terms of a skeptical. That's the word. Yeah. I, so I'm very skeptical <laughs> in in it because I'm thinking about what happened. We had that phase where it was Sean Paul in it, it was Elephant Man in it, you know, and every, <laughs> like we were we were really from we were all at that point, yeah. you know, from the West Indies and we were all <laughs> the reggaeton, you know, yes, that, that yeah. time, right? And so yeah. And that was a cool thing for a while. And, and so yeah. it's like, okay, well, so is this just like, is this a trend or is yeah. this you know, is going to be part of, is going to be interwoven into not just, you know, black culture, but world culture. And yeah. so um, that, that's kind of been one thing. Now I want to just kind of, before I know we're getting ready to wrap up soon, but I want to just kind of pick your brain in terms of your experiences regarding being a black you know, Nigerian woman grown up in America, you haven't been back often, but you've been very acculturated to your, to Nigerian ways here in America, right? And that's mm -hmm. due to your upbringing. But I wonder, you said your dad has kind of shifted his mindset over the past five years, but being a Nigerian woman, and you're not the oldest, are you? I am the oldest, yeah. Oh, okay. Well, <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, so then let's, this is the conversation I want us to have, because I think being the oldest, the expectations that come from being the oldest compared to being the youngest and all that do you still find yourself having to to deal with those things and how have you kind of adjusted or have your parents adjusted to the the expectations for being the oldest girl oldest woman right like you know there are differences yeah <laughs> have my parents adjusted to that no they're still Nigerian at the end of the day <laughs> So it's still Nigerian. Now, one thing I will give is my parents are modern enough. Like, for example, we hear about it. I have a lot of expectations, but not all the typical expectations. Like, for example, my parents don't tell me about marriage and babies. They don't. Oh, wow. They don't say That's like the big one. That's like, yeah, the, I know. Especially at this day I, and age. I know. They're just like, my mom literally said to me, if you never want to get married, that's fine. My parents are big on my happiness that's and good. they want me to. You know, they, they they all they want is for me to be okay, right? Um, I've been engaged before. Um, that didn't that didn't work out, <laughs> but like they never then said, oh, well you have to go get another husband. Mm. No, they're like, just be happy. However, that doesn't mean I don't have other things that they stress me about. I'm the eldest. I'm supposed to be taking care of this. I'm supposed to be doing this. I have mm -hmm. to still continue to be a good example. Mm -hmm. I have to, you know, well, now I have to go and plan this because I'm the eldest. Like, you're mm -hmm. supposed to be looking at this because I'm the eldest. So they, I still have all of, a lot of stresses because I'm the firstborn and the first girl. Mm -hmm. um, you know, my brother, my young, the youngest is my brother. Okay. I have two brothers and two sisters. And the boys, you know, my, my, my youngest brother, he's not, he's a gentle giant. He's actually a sweetie, but there are definitely still some ways where I'm just like, if I ever did that, wow, <laughs> <laughs> if I ever, <laughs> you know, but um, that's, yeah, so they, they shift, like, they don't have, I won't say that my family is like your typical traditional Nigerian family in the sense of like where you hear, well, at least in like, it's just a stereotype about weddings and getting mm -hmm. married and everything. They don't stress me in that way, but I definitely still have a lot of the first child 
expectations of showing the way and I have to do this and I'm still the one being experimented on, <laughs> you know. Um, an error child. Yeah, yeah, but they're, they're, they're shifting, they're, especially like my, like my mom, especially actually, to be quite honest. Um, there's certain things that like, you know, like my dad, I want to tell us what to do because he's the man of the house, you know, but my mom was like, they're adults, <laughs> like leave them alone. <laughs> they're adults. And, you know, it's like you, a lot of the times you'll hear those situations where it's just like, well, because I'm your, I'm your parents, like you still have to be the ones telling you what to do, you know, but my parents aren't really like that. But like, especially when it comes to like, maybe like financial responsibilities or, right. you know, cooking and cleaning and everything but I'm I'm blessed to have family members that don't necessarily they don't just they don't just sit back like my little sister she'll step up and do things all the time um you know my little brother even though you know he gets away with murder <laughs> sometimes you know he also will try to this is something to just be like what are you doing? But, you know, it's just like, he also tried to like step up and do his own thing as well. So I've been blessed in that way, but I definitely still, definitely some old school Nigerian things that they still very much adhere to that I have to sit up and listen and listen in their household, <laughs> sit up and listen and do. Bet. All right. So two more questions before we wrap up. One is, this is another petty one, but I want to, I want to start. <laughs> um, okay. You're a Beyonce fan? I like Beyonce. I'm not. Are you a, not a, are you a beehive type of person? No. Okay, cool. All right. <laughs> so then, maybe we can have maybe a, a maybe a more um, neutral, not unbiased uh, conversation. <laughs> okay. So then, where do you stand in regards to? Okay, Beyonce got this world tour. People are going crazy about Renaissance, right? Yeah. Where do you stand with this idea that well, she's doing this world tour, quote quote, but where's Africa? Mm, why isn't she going to Africa for yeah, the tour? Right. And because so so the, and I'm giving you the argument, not necessarily my opinion, but I'm giving you the argument in terms of, well, it's not like we just we just saw what happened. Everybody went to Ghana, like everybody was in Ghana like this December, right? They just did mm-hmm. everybody's going back. You see celebrities are going back, yeah. Dave Chappelle, Badu, right? They, you know, they did the Mike, Mike, Mike DM did the Black Star Festival, chance to rappers back there. So yeah. the excuse can't be like, well, Africa doesn't have the infrastructure because Ghana can definitely host a Beyonce concert, right? right? And so the question then is like, if she's doing this world tour for Renaissance. I know that she's done the Blackest King and I think she's done a significant amount of work to try and help bring more exposure to African culture and Black culture, but why doesn't she involve Africa in her tours? That's actually a really good question. I never even really thought about that. Mm-hmm. I know with this one in particular, like people should not be paying these prices for these tickets. <laughs> That's my own. <laughs> That's <laughs> like, one thing, yeah. $3,000, what does that translate to in Naira? <laughs> Like, how many people can go to that concert right. paying that kind of money, right? As in. Um, but it is a good question. Um, I think it goes two different ways. Okay. Because the infrastructure is there, right? But but can, can, because Ghana did it, right? Okay, let's just say she does it in Ghana. Mm-hmm. The level of Beyonce concerts, can they actually like security Mm. all of the things that are going on you know everything making sure that it's not only like safe but then like the people are going to come they're going to pay the prices 
they're yeah. going to actually have the experience which is going to have in the UK, yeah. right? Yeah. On the opposite side, though, isn't there a way that she could then maneuver the concert to work for the audience that she's mm-hmm. going to go and see? If you're going to utilize the culture that you're going to be in, you're going to be, you're going to be utilizing a specific culture. I mean, you know, I would I would try to figure it out. Yeah. But at the same time, I also understand, you know, the logistics that go behind it. Yeah. Uh, but I would love to see, I would love to see Beyonce one day do an African tour, specifically an African tour. Figure, figure out the logistics behind it. I agree. I agree in that. I, I, it would be nice to see her tour Africa. I, it would have been real. I mean, I think we were kind of in the heat of the pandemic, if I recall, when she did, um, Af- when she did Black is King in the Lion yeah. King. Mm-hmm. But like, that would have been such like a perfect like exactly. a window for her to I mean Tanzania um you know Ghana even Nigeria Egypt wherever like just go through yeah. South Africa I really thought that would have been an opportunity for her to do um to do all those things yeah. um but yeah yeah it just I appreciate you answering that question I just thought about it at the top of my head like I didn't know if you were a beehiver or not but <laughs> I was like I gotta be. I gotta ask first. Um, because she could have done it in South Africa. I mean, South Africa hosted a, hosted a whole World Cup, right? Like South Africa, we know at least she could do it there. Um, maybe she. Maybe she's. So I know that. Like I've heard that. Like you know, on like behind closed doors, she does a lot of stuff for Africa. Like oh, yeah. people don't yeah. know about it, but like she's always doing yeah. stuff. But I think the problem is that it's behind closed doors, mm-hmm. so people are feeling like, well. When are you gonna actually like you know come and show us for real for real? Yeah. So I think if she could have at least added, if, she, if she's not sure about West Africa, I can even understand you know because you know the Bihigi has that sometimes, right? Yeah. But like South Africa, South Africa definitely should be right. The infrastructure they hosted a whole World Cup exactly with Beyonce concert. Um, and just like you're saying, Ghana had the coach. Um, the what's it called again? Not Coachella. The um, you mean the Afro- Afrochella. Afrochella. Afrochella, yeah. So even if it's from that particular perspective of doing it like the Afrochella thing, then it might not be necessarily the same. What I keep saying is Beyonce better be going into retirement with these prices. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> like, this better be her last yeah, tour. Like, if, she, if, she, if this is her, like, her, her way to get her 401k pop- <laughs> <laughs> Like she this said, is gonna oh, ship her. Launch go okay, her into tour. retirement, man. I mean, that she's a genius. <laughs> like, and this is after she just got twenty four million. Was it twenty four million from yeah. Dubai? Like yeah. she just got twenty four million, and now yeah. you're trying to get twenty four million from just one city <laughs> in the United States. Like man, three thousand dollars for standing room. I'm standing room, yo. Like I'm my confused. brother, I know who's gonna be listening to this. He's gonna. Be, <laughs> he texts me. He texts us like. And as soon as she announced it, like, does anyone have a Citibank? <laughs> this is an SOS, right? Like, this is a huge He's always been a Beyonce fan. Oh, I love it. 40. So he's been, this was like, this is an SOS. I need to know, do we have this mom at a Citibank? I need Just like, bro, I, I, I mom, you might want to talk to mom. I don't, yeah, so 3000 man. Yeah, no, $3,000? Can't do it. Don't do it. Look, go, let me go buy a purse instead. At least I want to be. Let me go and invest in something. Let me go. Let me go on a trip. Right. But I also understand a whole that. Trip. You can do a whole trip in like you know, the Maldives yeah. for like. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I could go to Japan and enjoy myself. But I'm not a I'm not a bay or beehiver. So like I get it. Like, is there anybody I'll do that for? 
No, but I'm, not, I'm also not a big concert goer, so okay. I don't really understand the whole love of it that everybody has. But to each his own. Spend your money how you like. Yeah. Now you said <laughs> Japan. Are you big? Like, is Japan always been like Japan's always been a place I wanted to go to. Mm-hmm. Like, I've never been. Is Tokyo? Wanted to always wanted to go to Tokyo. Yeah. Um, I'm a huge fan of Tokyo, Japan, Japanese culture. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to do, I, I plan is to go to Japan next year, um, April for the cherry blossom. Oh, and I'm also okay. a huge yeah. anime nerd. So no, you're not. Uh, you're not an anime nerd. Huge. Are you serious? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, we have to talk. I would have I spent the majority of time talking about this. Um, <laughs> Anime, anime nerd myself. Yeah. Okay, so favorite anime, really quickly. Jujutsu Kaisen. Oh my god, Jujutsu <laughs> Kaisen, amazing. Now, I, I don't know what. So, what type of? I mean, because you 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 are into like you know screenplay and screenwriting and things like mm-hmm. that. What type of themes do you tr- typically like? And it doesn't have to be anime, but most shows like because there's some other there's some real anime like people who really sleep on anime don't understand just mm-hmm. the different types of genre yeah. within that, right? You have romance, mm-hmm. you have action, you have thrillers, you know, yeah. horror, right? Yeah. And so what's what's your favorite type of like, you know, genre in that regard? Slice of life, here's why. Now, of course I love all the actions, right? sure. I love like all of that, like the Hunter Hunters, the Demon mm-hmm. I love Demon Slayer, right? That's but nice. one of the reasons why I really like, um, one of my favorites is Spy Family. Yes. Right. yes yes <laughs> oh man like my brother's back. like yes yeah i, t- yes. I put my brother on spy because it's so wholesome it's it's, it's so wholesome but yeah, the writing it. is in i yes. love anime where they actually pay attention to the writing the yes. timing is on point the yes. writing is on point another one that people love but they don't really understand how great it was is death note yes you own one definitely <laughs> Definitely <laughs> is a masterpiece. Yes, exactly. Masterpiece. So well written. It's like this is the first one of the few anime shows, anything that's written from the perspective of the villain. Yep. And you are following the villain through the entire thing. It's the only anime that I would suggest watching dub. I watch the sub. I watch sub. I watch never, all, yeah, I only never watch dub. Sub. Yeah. Death Note, I say, needs to be dubbed because you need to understand the conversations happening at once. Yeah. And it's like there's so many different things and so many different layers with Death Note that I enjoy. Mm-hmm. So I really do love Spice of Life because they tend to have more of a story. Okay. I love them all. Like I'll yeah. I'll do I'll do like an isekai, I'll do yeah. like a romance, I'll do, yeah. you know, I just don't like the super gory ones. Like one that was written really well was Chainsaw Man. Oh, but it was so gory. I can deal with like Attack on Titan level gory, right? Yeah. Like, you know, that's Attack on Titan is like, you know, that's about it. <laughs> but like, Chainsaw yeah. yeah. Man is like, it, it, it was crazy. Sometimes. I was like, <laughs> now the one that I would say has had an amazing storyline so far. I did not like the original. It's one of the big three, Bleach. I was not a fan of Bleach. Right. Oh, yeah, but I've not. Bleach? I never really got into Bleach. Bleach, yeah. One Piece, um, not never so. got it. Or like, uh, My Hero Academia. I'm sure people listen. Like, all right, she, like, but talk about it. Um, <laughs> yeah. uh, so yeah, those three never mm-hmm. big on it. But like Hunter Hunter, I had to Hunter, rewatch yeah. that. Yeah. Um, I didn't have you ever. I just told my my little brother about this one. He's watching and loves it. It's uh Sword Art Online. Yep, watch that one. The you first that season. Love story. It's a love yes. story. It's amazing. Yes. 
It's Amazing. so cute, mm-hmm. um, but it's also well written. Mm-hmm. Um, the other one that I would say is uh, really well. Okay, I don't like Bleach, right? I didn't like Bleach, but Bleach Thousand Year War. Okay, watch it. Okay. That's the most recent one. Okay, watch it. So good. Another one that was really well written, Fire Force. Yes, also really yes. well written. And then um, is this is this escape my mind? Oh. Tokyo, Tokyo Revenge. Revengers. Now that yes. you see that man, that's yes. such good writing. Like yes. the with exactly. the with the plot twist, like the yes. twist. And oh yeah, <laughs> like, is amazing. And that's absolutely. one of those shows that I that because there's you have those like shonen, uh, you know, uh, type of genres where it's the young dude who's like growing to be strong, and you kind of already know he's gonna yeah. be, he's gonna be that dude. But like yeah. what I like about Tokyo Revengers is because like it's the opposite. He gets yeah. it. Every, <laughs> like literally every time right he's not the strongest he's always yes. getting his book up, right and yes. so but he still has this, it's just so well written to still show the mm-hmm. impact that he has um mm-hmm. on, on his squad or whatever but no i didn't know we're gonna have to talk more about this off the air because <laughs> that's dope i'm glad that i have someone else i could talk to about anime stuff because i'm such a dope. And, oh yeah, no, I'm a huge, I'm a huge anime fan. Like I'm getting, I, I'm not into like, okay, watch this, just watch it. <laughs> I'm trying to get everybody that I can on anime, but like I'm not gonna watch it, and then they become hooked, like my sister right now. She watched, I rewatched all of Naruto. It's like okay. since, during the pandemic, I rewatched all of Naruto. I actually had never gotten into One Piece, but I got I watched One Piece. I'm caught up now. Okay. Um, but I watched all of One Piece. Um, another good one, and then we can get the topic that a lot of people sleep on, but it's actually hilarious. Is Konosuba. I don't know if you've watched that one. No, I haven't. No, I haven't, but I've heard about watched it. Watch it. It is so fun. Like I've okay. rewatched it like three or four times. It's but spy, like is it funny? Like Spy Family is low key funny as well. In like, addition, like, it's okay. It's hilarious. Like Spy okay. Family is so that little girl is so funny. So but funny. this is funnier. <laughs> like this is funnier than Spy. I okay. stay screaming the entire time whenever I watch that. So if any chance, watch it. I'm gonna watch that. I'm putting that on my list. I'm gonna watch that because I have I've heard about it and I'm I've had so many shows that I need to like binge. Um, but <laughs> I'm definitely going to watch that as well. All right. So just to wrap up, because this has been a dope conversation. Um, <laughs> I just kind of want to know what I always ask my guests this at the end. What do you if what do you want your legacy to be? What would your utopian world be if you can if you had it your way? But like, what do you want overall for your like legacy to be in addition and everything you've done when you, when it's all said mm-hmm. and done um what would you like to what would you say like yes like I'm happy I'm, I'm good I just want people to be like she was here right mm-hmm. that like they remember me as a person of ease and peace um you know but also like complexities right so you know that I'm able to have complex conversations that I'm able to think of things outside of the box mm-hmm. and always find a solution um you know I I'm not the kind of person where I'm just like, I need to leave the world with this crazy mark that I, you know, cure cancer. Um, but I want, I, I do want to leave a mark on the people that I love and care about and that I was always there, um, that I was present um, and that, you know, I, I stirred conversation um, and that I was able to carry conversation. Right. Um, but most importantly, um, that I always save myself. And I think that's the biggest thing because especially since I took so long to kind of figure out who I was, 
um, that that person that I've discovered that I am um, is able to say, the people are able to say like, yeah, that's Roli and she was definitely here and she made a mark on us and, you know, we, we love her for it. And I think yeah. that's a big thing for me. That's that's amazing. Um, and I also just want to add before, as we wrap up that your cousin and her uh, co-host was the motivation that got me to do this. Oh, thing. really? I was so oh, really? Funny, and I'm gonna tell you, and I know you might tell her, tell 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 her. I love you. Um, but like, you know, uh, is interesting because, and it's just so small. It was such a small world type of thing. But I just was listening to it right because I knew, I've you know, of course, was familiar with them in other areas. But then, like, I was listening to Jesus and Jalaf. And shout out to Jesus and Jalof. And <laughs> I was listening, it was like their first season and it was their third episode. It was called mm-hmm. Immigrant is a New Cool. And I remember listening to it and I was so pissed. I wasn't pissed at them, <laughs> right? I was just pissed at the fact that like, this is the work I've been doing like my <laughs> entire like <laughs> career, academic <laughs> career and research wise. And this has been my passion, right? And so, and I've been talking about these types of things since like 2011. And so yeah. I was like, damn, they already talking about this on the air. Like I've been trying to find <laughs> this and I've been, you know, and I was just like, you know what? I don't even care. Like I'm going home. Like I was, in, we were in Florida. Yeah. And I was, you know, we were driving to Orlando to do something. And I remember mm-hmm. I was like, as soon as I get back, I'm starting something. I got, I don't care. If I'm I talking to the wall. Like <laughs> I don't even care if I'm talking to the wall, if I'm talking to myself. But I, I got to go out there and, and start talking because people are starting to catch on. Mm-hmm. And so I just, you know, it was just, it was just very interesting. And then I, and I realized, oh, like, she went to U of I and everything. It was just like such a small yeah. world. Yes. Um, awesome. I'm glad that you did it. You know, like it was such like a, um, an important podcast for her and she really enjoyed it. And I'm glad that it kickstarted yours because this is also a fantastic podcast. Um, and I'm glad that you're doing it and thank you for having me on it Um, can you see me? yep okay some weird just happened I don't know but thank you for having me on it I'm so glad that I was able to uh, have this wonderful conversation with you absolutely thank you so much um, (laughs) and gisting with me on this special episode of my Black is Transnational Um, and we will hopefully have you on again maybe we can have a special I'm doing like a special anime right like I don't even care (laughs) I mean, we're gonna load up on all the shows. We're gonna talk like we're gonna really like we still didn't get to talk about City of God. Like I was only able to watch like a little bit of it. But we still oh, got like we gotta like take time to like do another episode. Yeah, unpack, like, sure. We gotta unpack movies and like yes. different types of film and things like that. We gotta do that. That'd actually be cool, maybe even like a show you have like multiple black people on the film and black yep. weeds and all of that. That'd be cool. Yep, yep. <laughs> I would love to do something like that. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Thank you so much. So that's going to do it for this episode of My Black is Transnational. If you like what you heard, please be sure to rate, subscribe, and review the podcast. You can learn more about this podcast by visiting our website at blacktransnational.com. You can follow me, the host, at blacktransnational underscore on Instagram, or you can follow the podcast at blacktransnationalpodcast on Facebook and Instagram. So until next time, my name is Dr. Kalechi Bay Lambert. My Black is Transnational, and I hope by the end of this, yours will be too. Peace.